What's going on, everyone? It's Mitch from here with another episode of the North American Weed Tour podcast, looking at the best in legal cannabis across the map. Today, joined by special guests, I got Jen So, Director of Partnership, Director of Marketing and Partnerships at Navis. How are you doing today, Jen? Good. How are you? I am doing great. Really appreciate you carving out some time to chat with us today. Um, we're going to talk partnerships, NABIS, a few things. But before we get into that, I kick off every episode with uh, a question around our, our guest origin story with cannabis. So whether that's personal, professional, a, ta- a tad bit of either or, uh, whatever you choose to, to be vulnerable and share with the audience. But I'm just curious, kind of when you and cannabis started your relationship. Yeah, I mean, it pretty it pretty much happened by chance. Um, I originally studied art. I wanted to be a painter. Um, was really involved in the creative space and I graduated back in 2014 and I needed a job um, and I ended up working at a pretty old school mom and pop shop in West Hollywood called LAPCG. It's pre-ICO. Uh, worked my way up there, was there for about four or five years. I would say four years transitioned into the legal market. So definitely spent more time in the pre-legal market than the legal market so far. Um, And then went over to KSS, did um, brand management on the distribution side, and then ended up at Nabis. So that's like my cannabis, I guess, career kind of in a nutshell. So you went from from the the traditional market or, or the, yeah. the pre the pre rec market to the to the rec market. So you've seen quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think everyone else that's been in the space for a while as will definitely say that it's it's definitely been a journey. Um, definitely during the pre legal days or the you know during the traditional market days it was you know, things were done, you know, significantly different. I would say, I don't want to say the word fun, but it was definitely a lot more fun. Um, I would say. (laughs) Um, Because there's essentially not, you know, there's no, there's not a lot of guardrails that were, you know, put in Mm -hmm. place. So transitioning into the legal market, the way I've seen it is there's some positive aspects and, you know, there's some other negative aspects that, you know, has not been in favorable of, you know, people have been that have been doing this for a while. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely been an interesting transition per se. Absolutely. Yeah, it's the, there's pros and cons of everything. You know, mm-hmm. I, I come from the, the traditional market myself. Um, and, you know, there's definitely some things the grass was greener in certain regards back then. Mm-hmm. But it was, you know, there was also some things that are awesome about now that, uh, you know, yes. that we didn't have back then or, or that were, a, you know, a, a negative or a downside back then. Um, you know, so one of the things, you know, that we're going to talk today is, is, you know, Navis had a, had announced, this was like a month or two ago, a uh, mm-hmm. partnership with the, the, the equity trade network. And so a big part of that was, you know, providing platform services and just assistance to um, not just social equity brands, but brands that have been around since the legacy days, BIPOC led brands, mm-hmm. brands that have, have been affected or their trajectory has been affected by legalization or the war on drugs. Right. And so yeah. as someone that's kind of seen that when this opportunity came up, were you excited? And did you, was it kind of clear for you to identify like, oh, I've already seen the pre days and the nowadays and kind of see some of these 
um, some of these gaps or opportunities to come in and, and help? Like, what was it like for you to, to start experiencing that, those conversations, that partnership, being as someone that's kind of seen both sides of the, the cue ball, if you will? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's, I guess it's more of like a personal and emotional connection because, you know, being, you know, being a part of the times before legalization, you know, in your, your guttural reaction is like, you want these, you know, people that have originally done this for years to, you know, essentially transition smoothly and to succeed and be profitable in, in the legal market. Um, so I think, you know, with the NABIS model being agnostic, I mean, if you check out our website, we have, you know, we, we work with such a plethora of brands, whether they're vertically integrated, they're new or they're legacy or BIPOC or queer own. Um, we just wanted to make it into an opportunity for any type of brand to have a reliable distribution service or logistical network. Um, to get their products from point A to point B. So, you know, when this conversation, you know, came up, it was with Ramon from the Equity Trade Network. Um, he was, you know, working with a, you know, large group of, you know, social equity owned brands. Um, and essentially they needed, you know, help with logistical services. And it just made sense because we have our own ERP system and the marketplace that we've built out from the ground up. Um, and with our strong network of, um, transportation services, it just made sense to help. It made sense to help these brands out, um, and make sure that distribution and logistics isn't a bottleneck in, you know, in their wheelhouse. These brands should be ultimately focusing on brand innovation, sales, um, building relationships with retailers personally. So, yeah. And how, how have you guys approached this relationship, uh, in terms of working with these people? Is it, is it, is it? Like, is there a particular onboarding process that you guys are going on that's different than your guys' usual services? Or it's just kind of the, the same services that anyone else is going to get through Navis, but built into this, this partnership through uh, an organization who obviously works with subsidiary brands underneath it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely the later half. I think Ramon was acting as definitely the liaison between a group of these brands, um, which ultimately helped streamline the process. And um, just how, you know, the cannabis industry functions, it was literally through a recommendation, like a, a brand partner of ours, of ours was like, hey, you need to talk to the equity trade network, they're looking for, you know, help with these kinds of services. And we got connected. And, you know, we had some pretty consistent, transparent conversations on what we can do and support um, on, on each other's end so that we can, you know, clearly map out each other's expectations. Um, and then from there, we just had like one large onboarding of like about six to seven brands in that organization. And where are most of these brands? You know, I, I looked over the, the list and I'm familiar with some mm -hmm. of them. And I know a couple are from uh, the Bay Area. Well, uh, is it all over California or is it kind of specific areas uh, that these brands are representing? Majority actually are from the Bay Area. You're right. Yeah. Ma majority of them are up there that we um, onboarded. And I believe that Equity Trade Network is based up in Oakland as well, because Ramon's license is um, up in Oakland. Okay. Yeah, I love that. Where the Bay, the Bay really, you know, was on the forefront of social equity, whether they, they did it right or wrong, or the, you know, the far, you know, far from, uh, being protected from criticism, but they really were like the first area that I, I'm aware of that really started pushing the conversation for social equity and mm -hmm. 
putting action in place. So that wouldn't mm-hmm. surprise me that a lot of those companies are, are going to come that area. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and Ed, obviously Navis is working on quite a bit of different partnerships and that, that's a big part of your role. What, is, what excites you personally about a potential partnership? And, and then personally, I'm curious. And then also from like the company perspective, what is Navis looking for as a whole with, with different groups to partner with? Um, I think we're definitely, I would say at like a macro level, we're very much solution based. I mean, I think when you look at other industries like tobacco and alcohol, like distribution, distribution is an integral part, but it's, it has, I feel like hasn't played a big external role in each of those industries. I think for us, since, since everything is in its infancy, um, we, we just want to be kind of in the forefront of, you know, working with as many operators, manufacturers, and brands as possible, um, and essentially trying to be thought leaders in the space, whether it's like commentary on excise tax or cash flow, or, um, you know, implementations of like certain SOPs on how like products should be handled. Um, I mean, I think for us, we have an opportunity to really help shape the industry and, you know, help evolve it into, you know, what we believe it should be turned into. Um, But obviously with not only our voices, but with our brand partners, um, with other operators in the space, um, because, you know, I think right now is the opportunity to help, you know, mold what, you know, what potentially this industry can turn into into the future at a national level or possibly at an international level. And, and then you know, yeah, personal. Oh, sorry. Oh yeah, go oh, ahead. Yeah, 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 no, no, no. I I need to I need to know personally. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I was like yes. Yeah, it was a layered question. Um, personally, I think I mean this just stems from the from being on the retail side. Like I I just love product innovation. I think for us, since we get to work with so many brands and operators, you know, we get and through our marketplace, we get to see all the new product launches and you know, new brands, and even with the legacy brands, how they're, you know, evolving in the space with innovation. And I think, you know, product innovation is an integral, you know, part of, you know, having your, you know, company succeed and your brand staying relevant. So, I mean, personally, I, you know, just having a coming from a design and art background, that's just something that, you know, I look always look forward to, to seeing. Yeah, and, and we're seeing innovation sometimes in this space is, is not anything crazy. It's a little bit of a, half half ass new new spin on a flavor to a completely <laughs> new type of cons, you know consumption that you know wasn't there before um, yeah definitely yeah. some 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 tea stuff and some really cool innovation <laughs> that we're seeing. Um, yeah uh, i mean it's it's i mean i mean i'm sure you've seen that you you've been in the space for a long time so you've seen like everything that's come out in the market, you see copycats, you see new, you know, categories being carved out like beverage, like beverage has made a huge explosion this past year. And I think it's going to continue to grow. Um, But it's, I mean, I think when it comes to like forecasting and predicting the cannabis industry, it's hard. Like, I mean, when COVID hit, like, I think everyone was probably freaked out about whether or not, you know, businesses were going to be relevant or, you know, stay alive. But when, you know, the government officiated, this is like an integral business, they need to stay open. I mean, that was like another step forward towards like, the legitimacy of this industry that this is medicine, this isn't just for recreational use. So 
I mean, we're going to see, we're going to continue to see ebbs and flows. There's going to be successes. There's going to be failures. But um, I think what I value is the experimental aspect of, you know, what everyone's trying to do in the space. Like there's going to be, again, there's going to be wins and there's going to be losses. And, and on that note too, like obviously you guys have worked, work, currently work with and have worked with quite a bit of brands uh, over the years. And then on the other end of that, you know, the other side of your guys' partnerships is with retail. So you're working directly with retailers. So even beyond the brands and products you guys carry, you do get insight information from those, those people. Um, mm -hmm. What are, what are like some of the things, those intangibles that are making brands a success story in this place? Is it strictly pricing is it good look it, good luck is it having like a very nice brand aesthetic like what are some of the things that you're kind of seeing with the brands yeah. that have success in moving volume and, and moving towards like running profitable models i i mean i i definitely think it's a mix of things i think um one of the biggest things to recognize when you're either coming out with a new product or um, launching a new brand in the space, I think it's to recognize who your target audience is. I mean, you can invest in like killer packaging and like nuanced cannabis technology or whatever it is, you know, to develop your product or your brand. But I think it's to recognize who your audience, who your target audience is for. Um, and then for that, from there to build upon with, you know, quality product, price point, um, and design and packaging. I think that's kind of like an even perfect mix. Pricing, I would say, is is difficult. I think pricing is really interesting in the space. It's in, especially in certain categories, you see, you know, price being driven down, especially with flour. You saw vape, like it's just essentially a price war. Um, and when it comes to brand connecting with consumers, I think that's like one of the biggest barriers. Like you can be, I mean, right now it's, you know, your products are just being funneled through licensed retailers. You know, you can have a bud tender that's just pushing like whatever the cheapest product is, you know? So sometimes you don't have control over that. And with your products only being funneled through licensed retailers, sometimes there's a disconnect, you know? with the brand being able to connect directly with the consumers. Um, so I think when it comes to that, I mean, like you said before, when it comes to like education, you know, it's been difficult at times to kind of get consistent messaging across to who your consumer audience is. And what about like retailers? What are retailers like from your perspective, you feel like, what are, what are they looking for in this market? Like, Obviously, there's certain gaps on there and you can't, you know, you don't need the 30th premium flower brand or your 22nd, you know, mid shelf, you know, at this, you know, $25 eighth, right? Like you don't need a wide or deep of a particular skew or spot on the shelf. But what are retailers kind of looking for, whether it is adding something new and innovative mm -hmm. or just taking something else and, and filling a slot that might just be underserved or undervalued or, or a way to win that shelf from someone else. Do you know, is there any components that you're in, like consistencies in those components of what they're looking for from brands, like on the retailer side? I mean, I think it definitely varies by region and city. I think in the end it's dependent on as a retailer, what type of consumer that they're trying to bring into their shops or the kind of footprint that they're trying to establish within their neighborhood or community. Um, and from there, you know, 
they can decide essentially what kind of brands or products make sense. Um, it's, it's purely dependent on that. So like if I'm a brand and I'm coming out with a product and, you know, if, if I want to hit, you know, the, any, you know, a large type of consumer audience, then your pricing and who your flagship retail shops are going to be, your branding is, is going to completely change and evolve based off of that, who, who that audience is. So I think it's very much parallel to how the retailers are essentially curating their products as well. But I mean, you have these huge, huge chain shops as well that, you know, carry a large assortment and, you know, they want to have a plethora of goods so that they can have a diverse group of, you know, consumers coming into their shops as well. So I think it's just dependent on like the objectives of, of what the retailer wants to bring in. That makes sense. And, that, and that's a, mm-hmm. that's some solid insight. If you had to pick one, if I'm going to force your hand and pick one, what do you think retailers care about most? Do you think it is recognizable brand? Do you think it's pricing or do you think that it's the story, whether that's a widespread known story or just a really good story? Which one of those three you think matter? And again, I know it's going to vary from based on what you just said. I totally get that concept. But if I'm going to force your hand to pick three of what they would care about more consistently, which one would you say it is? Can I pick based off of like what I personally care about? That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Um, yeah, that's that's a tough question. I mean, for me personally, when I was on the retail side, it was story. I my big thing was about the story. I love meeting with the founders of the brands. I mean, it it added a human aspect to building upon that relationship and that partnership. I mean, that's a big thing at Navis as well. We value our partnerships. We value the people that we work with because we're all building this community. For me, it's, it's, it's story. Um, the two other ones, I mean, they do play a big part. I mean, it's, it's hard to pick. Like if, if, for example, if I'm a retailer, like I'm going to want to also carry products that, you know, do have credibility that have been in the space for a while, because that's going to drive in traffic to my shops as well. Because, you know, there are consumers that have, you know, been consuming for a long time, and they know the brands that they like, they know the flour, they know the edibles that they want. So if I'm not carrying those products at my shop, then I'm going to cancel out those, those, you know, those customers, essentially. So I think it's a balance. Selfishly, I think you need a little bit of everything. Um, but personally, it's it's always been about story for me. No, I, I love that. I mean, because that's at the end of the day, you know, what fuels me asking a question, right? What do you think of this brand? What do you think of this product? It's going to be a personal experience or a personal story that a butt tender has with that, or it's going to be a translation of, of what their story is, right? Like that's pretty much all you can say about it and, and the worst thing that you could say is you know oh, i've never tried it or i, I don't know anything about that brand right like yeah. there, there's got to be some element of the story that's how we pass on that information you know mm-hmm. word of mouth yeah i mean uh, that's all about brand loyalty i think that's, that's definitely similar to how you know other large consumer brands succeed whether it's tobacco fashion or like alcohol whatever it is any kind of consumer good um, essentially you're, you're, you're building brand loyalty through, you know, through that brand messaging and ethos. So it's, it's definitely, you know, in the same, same, you know, matter and structure as well. What do you feel like, you know, the, the ideal partner for you guys is obviously someone that, that wants to offload that distribution, something that you guys have built, you know, the, the marketplace and distribution, you guys have a very large footprint for that, but what makes an mm-hmm. ideal partner kind of beyond that uh, on Navis's like what makes a, a company or a brand a good fit for you guys? 
Um, I mean, it's a great question for us. I mean, we, we pretty much have an agnostic model, so we don't look for any kind of specific criteria. Um, if you have a brand and you want to launch it and, you know, whether you own a license or you don't, you're piggybacking off of someone else's and you just own the brand IP, you, you essentially have an idea and you want to bring it to market. I mean, that's what qualifies being a Navis brand partner. We just, we don't want to essentially gatekeep having access to reliable distribution logistical services. We want it to be accessible for anyone and everyone um, and make it essentially inclusive. So, you know, if you're out there and you have a brand that you want to launch um, in California, then, you know, we're here to facilitate, you know, the wholesale side of that, that supply chain. So, um, yeah, that's essentially always been our model. We don't want to push one brand or the other. Um, we just think that everyone should have access to, to those resources. Absolutely. And, and, and with that being said, and it kind of builds on what we were talking about a little bit ago, but what are some of those other things that those companies, like I, I have a brand, you know, I'm doing my part. I'm working with you guys through distribution. What are some of those other aspects that you that you're seeing that people need to kind of play ball on their end to help facilitate the increase, you know, increasing the shelves that they're on and increasing the sell through at those shelves? Yeah, I mean, I think on the on uh, you know specifically on that part of the supply chain, it definitely comes to quality control, having consistency in um, the quality of your products. Um, I mean, if we if we get really granular, there's, you know, certain SOPs that we've built in place so that when it comes to in taking your products, such as like labeling and packaging, um, adhering to those and providing consistency in your packaging of your products. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think for us, we just want to essentially help the brands win in the space. Um, and also we want the brands to essentially utilize the data that we do share with them as well. So, you know, I, I feel like we're not a typical, you know, we don't have a typical distribution model where it's full service, where you see a brand management team and a sales team. We've kind of axed that out of the equation. Um, and we layer that with tech. Um, so we're obviously sitting on a lot of data because we work with so many brands and retailers in the space. So we want to, what we want to eventually do is use that as a tool for brands, um, to have some more overall market category data. So that's something that we're going to start migrating into and start mining um, so that, you know, we can essentially try and share that information so that brands can have more insight into pricing, what categories are moving by region. Um, but yeah, that's, that's just, that's our goal is to just be a solution and to help these brands out to have more market insight as a whole. And that's, that's very powerful you know, data backs, anything in marketing and sales, right? It's going to be backed by data mm -hmm. and so much in the cannabis space. There's a lack of that with having so mm -hmm. many different point of sale systems, even e-commerce <laughs> platforms, you know, even you, some of the best options only capture uh, a, a small percentage of the available data. So, mm -hmm. you know, marketing and sales is, is guesswork, <laughs> regardless it of is. what you're doing. It's, it's always <laughs> going to be guesswork, but not having the full data makes it an even, even deeper guesswork. Right. And so that's definitely going to yeah. empower brand. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, I mean, we're, we're essentially building the ship and like steering it at the same time. I feel, yeah. I feel like we're, you know, cause it's, it's so new. Everything's been so underground. Like you said, data and like tag platforms, it's all fragmented, you know, nothing's been fully integrated yet. 
Um, so we're, I mean, we're hoping that, you know, we have, we have a bunch of wholesale data that really hasn't really, hasn't really existed in the space. It's been a lot of consumer retail data that's been released. Um, but we're hoping that this is something that we can kind of push forward and, um, add as like a potentially another layer to, you know, to our Navis ecosystem. Yeah. I mean, that, that's invaluable to understand if we want to launch a new product line, what's the competitive nature for that? What's the pricing and how's that pricing reflect on, on the, the, the potential sales volume, right? Like all of that information is invaluable. Cause I, I mean, I had this conversation probably three times this week that one of, <laughs> one of the biggest downsides of owners in this space is like, and I think anyone that's a creative or an owner of a brand, probably you always want to do something new and something next right you like i want to build out your line your skew you have a skew that's killing it it's always like well maybe we could do an infused version or five or three pack like fuck it let's just do all of them right and then now all of a sudden you have like one model you're building that you quickly turn into like potentially what should be three brands under one brand and if you don't have that understanding of like is there actually a market fit for new skew or are we just investing a lot of our time and energy and money into something that's going to flop in the first three months that if we would have just looked at the numbers, we would have known, oh yeah, that's, that's not, that's yeah. not where we should put this energy at. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and since, since, you know, brands are only able to sell to retail shops, like having a better understanding of, you know, the wholesale side of the business and, you know, trends towards what, you know, buyers are looking for by region or by city. I mean, it will definitely, like you said, heavily influence, you know, what, you know, what a brand should be launching um, in the space. And for you guys, how, what, what do you say is the percentage of, of inquiries to you guys versus brands that are just wanting to launch and come to market and uh, brands that are established and are looking to either change distribution partner or uh, not do that internally anymore? I mean, it's been a mixed bag consistently. We do get a good number of inquiries, like inbound inquiries that come in. Um, but majority of those conversations that we do have with these brands have been like, oh, I was recommended by so-and-so or like I was talking to a manufacturer and operator that I'm utilizing to produce my products and they recommended you guys. So again, it's very much recommendation-based Um it's, you know, via word of mouth, via partnerships, um, which was, which is really, you know, encouraging for us because it, you know, it's reassuring that we are doing, we are doing something, you know, correctly and um, we are being a reliable partner. So to get those third party recommendations is, is great. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you saw when legalization first happened, a lot of people were doing self-distribution. They were doing manufacturing, distribution, selling the brand and doing like literally everything all at once. Um, but we have been seeing more and more the trend shifting towards utilizing third-party distribution because I think when it comes to maintaining um, self-distribution, there's a lot of costs around it, warehousing, vans, pickers and packers. Um, it's, it's, a de it's definitely a lot of resources that, you know, that can be, you know, moved towards, again, you know, brand innovation, you know, producing products, selling your products, building relationships with retailers. So it's, it's the, the trend has definitely shifted towards third party distribution. And, and with that too, I know when we had, I had Vince on here probably around a year ago and he was talking about <laughs> your guys's, uh, 
expansion into capital and, and lending and providing that as a service for clients. Obviously, yeah. there's a big a big conversation over the last, uh, I mean, it's been going on for a while, but I'd say it's more amplified with just the state of, you know, businesses paying, retail outlets paying bills, net 30 turning into net 60, turning into net unanswered email for, you know, 75 days straight. Um, you know, clearly the cash flow has been an, an issue in this industry just by nature and design for a long time, but it's getting amplified. Are you guys seeing more requests and more inquiries around that side or more pain, like discuss pain points around kind of capital and, and funding? I, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I would definitely say as, you know, in, as the industry as a whole, everyone's like, it's, it's not looking pretty out there. Um, I think people that are trying to raise capital, it's, it's been difficult this year. Um, but it's, it's not just within the cannabis industry. I think when you see a lot of the large conglomerates and like the Amazons and the Googles and, you know, the, the big tech company, like you see, you see articles pop here and there, like large layoffs happening and people running out of capital. So, so that's also trickling into this industry as well. Um, I think when it comes to cash flow, like you said, it is definitely a big topic this year and it's going to seep into next year with the change of excise tax. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just moving from one place, one license to another light or another part of the supply chain to own it. I mean, personally, I don't think that's going to hundred percent fix the issue because Either way, if, if we're responsible for it or the retailer is responsible for it, whoever is responsible for it, it's a matter of like where those funds are going to be consistently coming from. Um, so, I mean, next year is going to be really interesting having the retailer being responsible and submitting excise tax. Um, I, I feel like if, if that's where the retailers are going to have to start pivoting their funds towards, you know, that's probably going to affect sales for brands and they probably might not see the same amount of growth or expect the same amount of, you know, product to be moved um, in the same manner as they've seen in the past. So, yeah, I, I, I think it's going to be interesting 2023 with with that shift happening. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Putting that on the retailers, it's like retailers are already strapped for cash. They're already strapped for capacity. Now it's like another task someone has to do. Yeah. And like you like you said, it's if the money's coming from there and that's already an issue where cash flow is tight and certain bills are not able to be paid on time, you're now asking that person to be responsible for another bill. And that's one of the biggest issues in cannabis, right? And this relates to traditional to recreational is is cannabis is a business of I put money out to acquire product and then I sell said product. And what, again, whether this is traditional or now, a lot of that's on terms and you don't have control over where you get it paid back. And as you grow, I've got product out. And so I still, I have money. I'm poor in terms of liquidity, but I've got money coming back to me, but now I need to scale and grow more. So now I need to get mm -hmm. more capital and I need to borrow. And it's just a bunch of people borrowing and owing and owing yeah, people, and yeah. it kind of is never ending. I mean, I think, you know, when legalization happened up until like recently, you know, it was aggressive payment terms, aggressive, aggressive discounting to stay competitive. 
um, and to like really, you know, own the shelf space and like every single retail shop as possible. But I, th I think right now there's like, a there's definitely a shift happening with cash flow taxes. I think brands are definitely being more conservative on the type of payment terms they do want to, you know, extend out to retailers. Um, I think, you know, this year to next, it's just going to be survival mode and trying to become profitable and, you know, trying to cut fat where they, wherever they need to cut fat within their org. Um, but it's, it's, I, I definitely think it's going to be another interesting year of changes for sure. You see a lot of, you probably see there's a lot of M and A's happening. People are linking arms, um, you know, to stay afloat. So it's, you know, it's, it's definitely a bummer to see, like we've, we've seen brands come and go. Um, it's, it's not the greatest feeling, but, um, the brands that the brands and operators that are still in the space, we can at least kind of observe and learn, you know, from the mistakes that other people are making. So I guess that's like the upside from it as well. Absolutely. There's, there's plenty of upside, you know, mm -hmm. there's plenty of upside. Um, while there is going to be some devastation across the market, it's Part of that's just natural and market being the market. Jen, I really appreciate your time today. Um, what, what's next? It, you know, I know you guys are working on a lot over there. Is there anything that you can share, you know, that's coming out end of, end of 22, start of 23 in terms of what Navis has cooking up? Any partnerships you could, uh, you know, that are coming up that you could, you know, give the leak on? If not, it's all good. Lips are sealed when it comes to partnerships, but um I'm, I'm sure a lot of people know we we are 100 targeting new york we're, we're excited about that expansion um we've only been cultivating relationships and building out our infrastructure in california we're going to continue to invest in that um we're going to be opening up our new warehouse facility out in woodlake um but when it comes to geo expansion new york has um been on our watch and we've been actively you know working with lobbyists licensing processes out there um, but we're, we're hundred percent wanting to mimic the same model that we've built in California out of New York. Uh, man, I, I look forward to seeing mm -hmm. that, uh, look forward to seeing the growth of you guys, people out there that want more information, nabis.com. Um, Jen, thank you very much for joining us today. Appreciate your time. Thank you so much. This is the North American Weed Tour podcast. We're looking at the best in legal cannabis across the map and beyond. We got a couple more episodes running today. It's going to be a, a healthy Friday. Um, so stay tuned. Check back in here for a little bit, guys. And we got new episodes on Spotify, Apple, wherever else you listen to podcasts. All these episodes end up there. And check the site, respectmoreregion.com, for more content.